You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. Genetic technology, it gives humans incredible power, power to shape the natural world. But how much should we use it? How much should we do? In her 2021 talk at TED Monterey, biotech entrepreneur Ryan Phelan makes the case for using genetic tech the right way. Support comes from Clavio. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a long to-do list, just remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Clavio is for. It's the email platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Set up a free Clavio account and start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. Get started with a free account at Clavio.com slash TED Talks. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash TED Talks. Elizabeth Ann. She's a black-footed ferret, America's most endangered animal. She was cloned using cells from a ferret that lived 33 years ago. Elizabeth Ann is a new hope for the future of her species, a chance to actually restore lost genetic diversity. She was born for this intended consequence. I've been working in conservation for the last 10 years with innovative scientists from around the world to bring biotechnology to wildlife conservation. We need to solve the escalating threats to biodiversity from climate change, habitat loss, fragmented populations, and wildlife diseases. These are the unintended consequences of the human-dominated time we live in, a time when we need new tools for the conservation toolbox. And with genetic rescue, we can actually help stop more species from crossing the line into extinction. And the black-footed ferret is a great example. The black-footed ferret historically ranged all across the Great Plains of North America, from Canada to Mexico. That is, until their habitat was converted to ranches and farmland. By 1981, There was only one colony of ferrets living in Wyoming. They were brought into captivity, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has successfully been breeding and releasing these individuals back into the wild for the last 30 years. But all 600 living ferrets today are the descendants of just seven ancestors, and with inbreeding, that jeopardizes their long-term survival in the wild. To solve this challenge, of the lack of genetic variation, we reached back in time. Luckily, scientists had the foresight. Starting in 1975, Dr. Oliver Ryder and his team at the San Diego Zoo started banking endangered species. And it was with one of these cell lines that we were able to actually bring in a new individual who lived 33 years ago who had unique genetic variation. Elizabeth Ann is a result of that cloning. She has three times more genetic variation than any living ferret today. And when she breeds in the next couple of years, her offspring will help create greater resilience for her species. Now, Elizabeth Ann isn't the only time that we've done cloning. We've worked with the Chevalsky's horses. These are the only true species of wild horse remaining in the world. Historically, they were native to Central Asia, but they roamed all the way from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean for centuries, until they were basically extinct in the wild, with only several horses left in captivity. 
Conservationists have reintroduced some of those horses since 1960 back into the wild, but all 2,000 horses, all living today, are again are at risk of inbreeding, and many scientists refer to this challenge as the extinction vortex, when small fragmented populations lose genetic variation and become at risk. For the vortex of extinction as their populations dwindle. Now, with genetic rescue, we can reverse this extinction vortex by bringing in new genetic variation and increasing the long-term survival of these populations. Now, these genetic rescue stories could not have happened without the collaboration of multiple partners and the tools of biotechnology. Fundamental to all of this. Is the most essential tool is genomic sequencing, and the power of bringing that information into the light to help the management of these species. In addition, the biobanking, the cell culturing, and the in vitro technologies have made this kind of genetic rescue possible. But even these technologies are not widely adopted by conservation. We hope to change that. Emerging technologies of genetic engineering. Hold the promise of helping species adapt to climate change, solve wildlife disease problems, and even help solve invasive species problems. But very often, these technologies never get out of the starting gate because the fear of unintended consequences absolutely stymies even the most basic、uh, innovation at the get-go. Probably, there's no more. Urgent need to overcome some of this reluctance to use these technologies than in the case of coral. Coral, as many of you know, are the most diverse and rich ecosystems in the world. They provide a rich biodiversity for reef-dwelling fish and all ocean life. And yet, sadly, 50% of the Great Barrier Reef has been lost already to climate change and environmental degradation. Estimates predict that by 2050 we could lose as much as 90% of the coral in the world. There is hope. Scientists around the world are utilizing new technologies to cryopreserve even living coral fragments that can be transplanted onto artificial reefs. This is just the beginning of some of the work that is pioneering and can happen. I'm most excited about the new technologies. For、uh, developing stem cells. Now, these stem cells could be used to actually genome edit in thermal resilience to warming oceans. Genetically modified corals. What about the unintended consequences? This question comes up so often with any innovation in science. We decided to actually identify just how often do you, when humans intervene. Do they cause the disasters that people fear so much? And yes, there are classic stories of humans intervening in nature and causing disasters, like bringing rodents to islands that stowed away on colonial sailing ships. These invasive species and others have caused greater than 60 percent of the extinctions worldwide since the early 1500s. And then there's the poster child. For intentionally releasing the poisonous cane toad to Australia, back in 1935, the sugarcane industry brought this invasive poisonous cane toad in to solve their problem with beetles in their crops. 
It didn't do much for the Beatles, and instead, since 1935, it has continued to work its way across Australia, leaving nothing in its wake and killing native species all along the way. These disasters stoke the minds of people about fear of intervention, and yet they happened in an era when there was little regard for the overall environmental ecosystem, and. They were done in some cases even with profit motivation in mind. They weren't done for conservation benefit, and sadly, we never hear about the success stories. So when we looked at the research about what happens when conservation intend to intervene in nature, we found a very different story. All across the globe, for over a century, scientists have been introducing and reintroducing plants and animals with no environmental harm. You may know of the classic success story of introducing wolves to Yellowstone, but that's not the only one. Think about this: over 1,000 species have been introduced all across North America for the last 125 years. There has been no documented case, except one, of any intervention causing a local extinction. That was a native freshwater fish from a small spring in Alabama. 99% of these interventions have succeeded in achieving their intended consequence. If intervention is so common in nature, why aren't we more aware of this? And I think it's because sometimes what success is actually invisible to us. Take, for example, the Great Smoky Mountains, America's most visited national park. What we see as pristine wilderness is actually a very managed environment. Those elk you see—they're the result. Of being absent for 200 years and being reintroduced, that meadow is a result of repeated controlled burns, and non-native insects have been used to control pathogens and invasive pests. And there's one more iconic species that could come back to this forest. That's the American chestnut tree. Historically, this majestic tree. Rained down sweet nuts and fed humans and animals alike for centuries. For thousands of years, it was the most abundant tree species across the eastern deciduous forest. Its lumber was used to create fine musical instruments and hardwood furniture. And until 1800, there were four billion of these trees across the forest. Until a blight, a fungal blight, that came in. Imported invasive species absolutely wiped out these trees. By 1950, all four billion trees were decimated. Now, since that time, scientists have tried for decades to figure out how to create a blight-resistant chestnut tree, and it's happened. Scientists at the State University of New York have identified a way: inserting a single gene from wheat. That will convey blight resistance. These genetically modified trees, right now, are the first chance in a hundred years to restore these majestic trees to the forest. The U.S. Department of Agriculture right now is reviewing these trees for release into the wild. These are all bold initiatives: engineering coral to withstand warming waters, restoring the American chestnut tree. The genetic rescue of the black-footed ferret. All of these initiatives will require public engagement and public support. I think it matters 
how people think about intervention. I believe we need to bring more balance to how we think about risk. There will always be unexpected outcomes to any innovation in science, but we have the tools and technology today and the protocols to minimize risks and maximize benefits. So the next time you hear about some bold new idea, I hope you'll think first about the intended consequences. We don't have the luxury of time to stand by and wait and see what happens for the thousands of plants and animals at risk today. We know that doing nothing can cause extinction. Instead, let's carefully and intentionally plan with all the tools in the toolbox to achieve and create the future we want, and not overreact to a future that we fear. Thank you.